to be God's tool on site for the development of a human soul. I mean, every time I say that, it just fills me with this sense of wonder at how huge that is. And I want to build a lifestyle that prioritizes the significance of that. I want to early introduce my children to the fact that they're not in the center of the world. God is. That the meta story is the story of God. It's not the story of them. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Paul Tripp. Paul's a pastor, an author, and a conference speaker focused on connecting the transforming power of Jesus Christ to everyday life. He's the president of Paul Tripp Ministries and the author of a number of best-selling books, including New Morning Mercies and Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. In our conversation today, Paul and I discuss his and his wife's journey to parenthood, the most common questions he gets asked about parenting, and how he came to view raising children as one of the most significant, awe-inspiring things a person can do in life. Let's get started. Paul, thank you for joining us on the Crossway Podcast. Uh, It's great to be with you. So your wife, Luella, and you have how many kids? Four. Four kids. And roughly what ages are they right now? Some from 42 to 33. Okay, so it's been a while since they've been at home Mm. in diapers, you know, requiring all hands on deck kind of care. (laughs) Did you always want kids? Do you remember back to the days before marriage or even in those early days of marriage? Were kids always a priority for you and your wife? I. Yeah, I think so. Uh, although, as a couple, we, we felt it was really important to get ourselves grounded as a couple, uh, to develop some kind of normal pace and culture of our marriage that was workable and biblical. And so we didn't rush to have children. We were married for five years before Luella became pregnant, and then that first uh, pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. But um, we we really felt that our greatest contribution to our children would be on the solidity and love of our relationship that would provide the kind of security that we needed, that they would need. Um, So we were done at two children. We felt with a busy ministry life that was was good. And we read a book... um, written by a lawyer for the Philadelphia Child Welfare Department called Throwaway Children. And it was just story after story of how powerfully and negatively children's lives are impacted by adult decisions. And we began to believe that our home was a resource. And so we adopted a daughter. We wanted to adopt an otherwise unadoptable child. And after examination, the best match for us was a mixed-racial child uh, because they were hard in those days to adopt. And so we brought Nicole into our home, and then a couple years after Nicole arrived, we had a Houdini, <laughs> uh, an unplanned planned pregnancy, and so we, in, we had three boys and a girl, for which we're very, very, very thankful and can't imagine our lives without anyone, mm. any one of them. Yeah, as you think back to those early days of parenting, um, 
is there anything that looms large as the most unexpected thing about the reality of being a parent, good or bad? I think the most unexpected and humbling thing for me was my own struggle with anger. Mm. Um, I, I did come to the point in my life where I was a pastor, but I was a very angry man, and I was in the midst of destroying my life in ministry and didn't know it. And that began with the birth of our first son and just the, just the total unpredictability of life, uh, how children tend to make everything harder. I'm a project-oriented guy. I'm a planner. I know what I want to accomplish every day. And it was, it was that. I just, and what came out of me, I had, I had no knowledge that that was inside of me. And in that way, it was a, a beautiful thing that God was doing because it was requiring me to face, face this thing that was inside of me. And Luella was tremendously patient and gracious. Uh, she confronted me again and again, uh, but she did it in beautiful ways. Mm. And, um, you know, that, that theme is just broken in my life. It's, it's, I'm just not that, that man anymore. Uh, but I, you know, I sort of theologically expected because of what the Bible says that I was, we would be welcoming our home these self-appointed little sovereigns and all of that. But the rage that that would produce inside of me was just completely unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. Kids, they have this tendency to, yeah, bring out or reveal mm. the worst inside of us. And mm. I think that manifests itself in different ways for each of us. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that children do is they hook your idols. Mm. Uh, and what do you mean by that hook? Well, your idols? I, I think they, they, uh, they get in the way of your functional idolatry. They tend to step on your idols. Uh, so my idol of personal productivity and sovereignty over my schedule, oh, my goodness, it's just like my children were just trampling that. And, uh, you know, that, that the rage of really now, really? I have to deal with this now? Uh, and then uh, that beginning to alter my relationship with Luella because she's obviously very uncomfortable with the way I'm responding. And it was just, it was a mess. And God put me in a situation where my eyes were opened and I saw it and I was, I was filled with enormous amount of grief and mm. went to Luella and asked her to talk to me. I said, I know you've been trying for years and I've wrapped my robes of righteousness around me and refused to have the conversation. I'm ready to listen. And she talked for two hours and it was the beginning of a process of God just undoing my heart and rebuilding it again. That was just very necessary. In our day and age, it's easier and probably more prevalent than ever to delay parenthood, uh, maybe even skip it altogether. And, you know, the prevalence of low-cost birth control and um, other kind of reproductive technologies have allowed couples to really have an unprecedented level of control over the timing of when they have kids and um, over how many kids they have. Do you think that this, this technological power has had any impact on how we as Christians even think about children? 
So I think there's good news and bad news here with the delay of parenting. I think the, the reality of what is happening in culture is, this is my, my interpretation, is people are maturing later. Uh, I think there's two reasons for that. One is the enormous busyness of the family. Most couples who live near big cities, both husband and wife, will, will need to work. And that means mom and dad are out of the home a lot of the time. It means they're exhausted when they're not. And that impacts the way in which parents influence and disciple their children. So, so you have a family that's trying to squeeze profoundly important things in a lot less time. Mm -hmm. And I think that means 18-year-olds of today are not the 18-year-olds of 50 years ago. Definitely not the 18-year-old of 100 years ago. We should recognize that. The second thing is the power of media breaks down the influence of the surrounding community that would influence me, my neighborhood, and my church. The family is very important for the development of child, but the community is very important for the development of the family and for the, the larger influence of that child. My parents didn't give me, they weren't capable of giving me everything that I would need to develop well. We needed the church, we needed the surrounding community. You begin to break down the influence of those things. People are not ready because the tools that God created to make them ready for adulthood are not being used in the way that they were once used. Yeah, so you're saying you view the any kind of delays in parenting as primarily a result of of issues that are further further upstream from that. And I think I think the church always has to be realistic about uh, economic factors in in people's lives. Uh, you know, with higher education now, people leave college massively in debt. Uh, that that's a huge issue for when you think you're capable, able to have kids and support them them well. Uh, so there there are a lot of factors that we have to look at, and I, I think what you, what you do is you take cultural trends and you use them as a way of listening to and understanding individual stories. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to treat all couples who are having children older as the same. I, I know some things that may have influenced that, but I want to meet them as individuals. Hmm. I think it can be so easy for Christians who have strong opinions on some of these things to come into those conversations with a preconceived idea about the right way to do it or the wrong ways to do it. What encouragement would you give to Christians when it comes to discussing these, these topics that can sometimes be a little bit tense? So... This won't make any sense until I describe it, but treat Scripture as jazz and not sheet music. For example, God gives me all the broad principles I need to parent the way he's called for me to parent. Uh, that's analogous to a key signature and a time signature. So the structure's there. But he does not tell me how to have that conversation on Tuesday night when my son has come home smelling the marijuana. He just doesn't. In that way, it's jazz. As long as what I do with that boy stays inside of God's 
key signature and time signature, I'm free mm. to improvise. That's, that's God's design. That's his, the beauty of the freedom that he's given us inside of his boundaries. And so we've got to handle these issues this way. We don't actually have a script for all these issues. We have broad principles. Those principles are absolutely important. We should hold them with the highest of esteem. And we must never diminish their influence in our lives, but we must understand the broadness of, of those and, and not think that we have more specificity than we actually have. Mm. Uh, and at, when I was doing uh, counseling more regularly, there'd be moments where I'd say, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I've shared with you what God's Word teaches. Now, this is one man's best application of that in your life. I wanted to make that distinction between that, uh, between those two things. And I think, man, as I read Twitter or whatever, I, I just think we're, we're just losing that distinction mm. all, all over the place. Yeah, as you get older, do you find that you, uh, I guess, how do you think about the convictions that you have, maybe specifically with regard to parenting, do you find that your convictions are getting stronger on certain things, but maybe less things? So I would say that I would I would say that my convictions are stronger than ever. Uh, my esteem for the practical brilliance of the Word of God is just it just blows me away again and again and again. And I think I've been astounded as much as I'm going to get, and I get astounded again. I become more and more flexible in my understanding of how those things are applied in everyday life. Mm. Uh, you know, Luella and I have uh, certain natural gifts. We have certain personalities. And so the way that we have n negotiated, navigated the principles of marriage that are clear in Scripture is different than you and your wife. Uh, that's because how God's formed us. It's because of where he's placed us. It's because of the gifts he's given us. It's because of things like personality and those kind of things. Uh, there's not one way of doing this thing. And that's why in, in things that I write, like marriage or parenting, you don't get pages and pages of how-to. What I want to give people is these, these exciting, agenda-changing principles and say, Go have fun. Uh, apply those in your life. And the God who gave them to you is now not standing over you as one who would condemn, but one who would enable, empower, uh, assist. And so you've got to have both of those. And, yeah. I, and I, think, I think we can't allow ourselves to speak with a specificity and authority that scripture doesn't uh, give us the right to. Yeah. In light of that fact, that scripture doesn't lay out a script for every situation that we're going to face as parents, even big, important hmm. situations, sometimes, all parents will know this, uh, we don't always agree on the best path to take with, with some issue. We maybe agree on the biblical principle that would inform that next step, but we don't really agree on what to do, practically speaking. What advice or encouragement would you offer to parents, uh, maybe a couple that uh, isn't seeing eye to eye on something, isn't seeing 
the same uh, path forward when it comes to applying one of those principles. The call to scripture, to unity, only makes sense if there's going to be diversity. The Bible, all, the New Testament assumes diversity all over the place. It's whether that's male or female or slave or master or that's why there's that call to unity. The goal is not uniformity. The God who made lilies made rocks. And so we should not have a uniformity goal. We should not have a uniformity requirement that will kill a marriage. Mm -hmm. And it will create fights over parenting. Uh, I'm different than my wife. I have a different set of gifts. She looks at things different than me. We should debate our way through those in a loving way. But yeah, So you're not saying avoid the conflict. No, you, you have to have it. But you have to have that in a way that's loving and affirming and godly and patient and kind, mm. uh, respectful. But there's a reason that God designed two parents. Uh, it's not a, parenting isn't possible with one person, but you see the wisdom of that conversation that goes mm. on all the time. Yeah. But, it, but it only happens the way it's supposed to happen if you don't demand uniformity. Uh, I mean, if that's true of the body of Christ, surely it's true of marriage, the comprehensive 24-7 of marriage, and surely then of, of parenting. Uh, people jokingly say if, if you're out with uh, a group of couples, don't talk about parenting, you'll be in a fight. Mm -hmm. uh, well, why is that? Because we love the security of one-way rightness. Yeah. Uh, instead of... Uh, inside of God's boundaries is this wonderful field of, of liberty, and it's so it's okay for us to, to disagree. Luella, my wife, is so good at that. She does not feel the need to have me endorse her opinion. It drives me crazy because <laughs> I want her to say, "You're right. Yeah, right. you've always been right. You're the rightest person I know," <laughs> and she doesn't feel the need of that at all. And she's, because of that, much more able to have those kind of conversations than I typically be willing to be. And it's been really helpful for me to distinguish that the, the call in Scripture is to a commitment to unity. Unity assumes diversity rather than a call to uniformity. Yeah, that's a topic that I think would be uh, very interesting to discuss, maybe in another conversation when it comes to marriage. So you do a lot of conferences, and you do a lot of them on parenting. My guess is that at this point, you've probably spoken with hundreds, if not thousands of, of couples and answered questions about parenting. What are some of the most common questions that you get? In, by far, the number one question is, I have a self-willed four-year-old. <laughs> what do I do? Mm. I want to be charitable in the way that I say this, but I think a lot of the roots of that question are because we do tend to minimize depravity. We tend to minimize. Uh, in our own kids, you mean? Yeah. Mm. The, the, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, that Jesus came so those who live would no longer live for themselves as selfish into sin, that the DNA of sin is selfishness. And so uh, we're shocked that this little one would look at the size of himself and the size of us and take us on. <laughs> and that there are no arguments that we can give that seem to diminish his desire to rule his world. I think the second thing that, that, that 
is a reason for that is we, it's hard for us to own our inability as parents, that we, we literally have no ability whatsoever to change our children. We're called to be, eight, be representatives of the one who can change our, our children. So I think it's that one. And then I think the, the second is I've discovered my teenager is doing X, mm. what do I do? And I think again that the, the assumption is that if you if we do all these good things with our children, they'll, they'll will turn out well. And the reality is, no matter how well I act toward my children, if they don't transact with God, they won't be okay. And 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 I can't make that transaction. In the middle of parenting is just a whole lot of desire for people, and I get this that if you could just tell me how to do X, I don't think it's a failure of Scripture that it doesn't do that. I think it's its brilliance and it's its grace that it doesn't do that. Because I don't have to carry around this, okay, I've got to say this thing at this moment or God's not going to be happy with me. I just don't Mm -hmm. have that. God says, here's the kind of person I want you to be. Here's the way I want you to talk to your kids. Uh, here's what my grace looks like. Now go have at it. Mm. And you don't need to be afraid. I'm with you. Yeah, the way you talk about that in the book is you say that our calling as Christian parents is to, quote, be a principal, consistent, and faithful tool in God's hands for the purpose of creating God consciousness and God's submission in your children. Unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by God consciousness and God's submission? I know that I've given birth to little interpreters, uh, my children won't live life based on the facts of their experience, but based on their interpretation of the facts. Uh, every child is a philosopher. Every child is a theologian. Every child is an archaeologist who will dig through his exi- mound of his existence to make sense out of life. And so I want to early introduce my, my children to the fact that they're not in the center of the world. God is. That the, the meta story is the story of God. It's not the story of them. And that Living is about embedding your personal story in the larger story of God. So it's first that God consciousness, followed by then, he has designed a way for you to live because he knows what is best, because he's creator. Now, the reason that God consciousness and God submission are so important is they compete with all the other forms of human identity and human meaning. You are your looks. You are your athletic ability. You are your intellect. You are your likes. You are your power. You are your position. You are your race. All those, all those other identities that in ways seem more real than God's consciousness and God's submission. Mm-hmm. Because we're dealing with God, we can't hear or we can't see. So I want to fight the battle early where my children are moldable and interested versus I, I starting to fight the battle at 10, 12, 14 when now there have been all these other influences that have already begun to define the identity and meaning purpose of this child. Parents say to me, all the time. When do I start talking about these things to my children? I say, in the womb. <laughs> at, 
get your voice in front of the stomach, preach, <laughs> uh, so that the earliest consciousness of this child would be rooted in, in the existence of, of God. Yeah. And I'm not smart enough to th come up with this myself. It's Deuteronomy 6. And think of the model there. It's talk about these things. Here is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Talk about them when you rise up, when you walk along the way, when you go to bed. Now, that's not formal instruction. It's going to be marked by moments of formal instruction, of course. But it's life provides an opportunity to talk about these things. My son came to me once and said when he grew up he wanted to be a giraffe. And so I thought this was my opportunity and I lectured this little three or four-year-old on the image of God in man as he picked his nose. <laughs> and he got done, we got done with the conversation. He said, okay, Daddy, I'll be a lion. <laughs> right over his head. But I don't think any of those moments are, are uh, a waste of time. And, and here's how it happens. It's, it's your child is forming this sense of identity. They're forming their, a, a worldview. So it's pieces of conversation. They're assembling pieces. I want to give them pieces to assemble. I don't think that they're going to get it all at once. But I get, get to wake up with them the next day. We get more opp new opportunities. And we know that the center of what the Bible says about human, the human existence is the existence of God and life given over to submission to his will. And I want to do everything I can to form that in my children, realizing there are powerful voices that they will hear. And so I want, I want to start that young so they're prepared when those voices start having influence that they already have some structure in place for dealing with them. Hmm. So when it comes to the issue of discipline, what are some of the pitfalls that you have seen that you think are common among Christian parents? Well, the, the number one would be to discipline your children before your heart is ready to discipline them in a way that is godly and productive. Um, How do you balance that with the need to sometimes act in the moment? Like I have small kids at home, and if my son is hitting my daughter, I kind of have to pretty decisively intervene right then, and um, sometimes we feel the pressure to, especially when they're young, to to follow through with discipline and go through that process quickly so that they are really kind of making the association to what, what they did wrong. So I, I, would make the, I would make the distinction between dealing with the situation, de-escalating it, stopping the child, and, and discipline. That's just aborting a situation. Discipline is the way that I interpersonally deal with that and what that forms in you. So... I may go into the room, I may stop it, but I'm in no time ready to talk to you about this. Because I want to say, do you know what it's like for me? I have to come in this, I, how many times did I come in here today? And you, we told you not to do that. I'm just not ready for that conversation. Mm. And so, yes, I have to deal with it. I may uh, get the child out of the room, get their, them in their room, say, uh, you're going to have to play in here for a while because you're not playing well with your sister. That's fine. It's got to be done. But that's not discipline. That's just uh, situation maintenance. Mm. That's an opportunity to actually discipline the child. 
And, and the two parts of that discipline are correction and instruction. So is there, is there a need for correction? And what instruction should follow? That's the stuff you have the choice to, de to delay. And get yourself in a, a better place. The other thing is, God's good. He's designed this child to live with you. If, if you that day are just too rattled to deal in the right way, well, praise God, you're going to get another opportunity because this child lives with you. It's, yeah. it's okay. You'll get another opportunity. How important is it for parents to be willing to apologize to their kids when they do perhaps respond in anger or in a harsh way uh, in the middle of a difficult situation? I think, it's, I think it's always important. I think as the child gets older, it's even more important. Um, you know, if, if let's just say we're at the dinner table and our kids are loud and it's a little bit chaotic and I just scream at my children, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful the next night for us to sit on the table and for me to say, you know, before I pray, could I say something to all of you? I spoke to you unkind last night. And I did that because sometimes peace and quiet is too important to me. And that's wrong. I should never value that more than I value you. Hmm. And I'm so glad that God has forgiven me because I've confessed that to him. But I'd love for you to forgive me too. Hmm. Uh, and then pray. Who wouldn't want that person as your dad? Yeah. Because you begin to think, this is a person I can talk to. This is a person I can share my life with. This is a person who won't turn his back on me because this person is saying, I need grace too. I need forgiveness too. I need the gospel too. The reality is that I'm more like my children than unlike them. And the more I am willing to humbly display that, the more I become an approachable person. What's the best piece of advice that you received related to parenting? That... There could be nothing more important other than your own personal relationship with God than the forming of a human soul. To be God's tool on site for the development of a human soul. I mean, every time I say that, it just fills me with this sense of wonder at how huge that is. And, and I want to build a lifestyle that prioritizes the significance of that. Maybe your children don't need to play three musical instruments and be, be proficient at four sports. Maybe we don't need to always remodel our house so we're, we're doing something all the time that's arduous and interferes with life. Maybe we need to pare down and live more simply so this profound thing that we have been tasked with is is given the priority mm. it it is and i think in the right sense of this word because we had those voices in our lives we went into parenting with fear that kind of holy awe at what we were we were called to do that's such a good wake-up call too because I, mean, I can attest to this personally that parenting can often feel so mundane it's just you're doing the same things over and over again you're doing the same loads of laundry, you're doing the same difficult breakfast routine, trying to get the kids out the door, you're doing the same uh, bedtime routine. And it, it's easy to lose sight of that awesome reality that, that stands at the heart of what we actually are all 
doing here, raising mm. children. And you, and you, you have to. The reason to hold on to that reality is you have to fight the uselessness of, of parenting, the feeling that it's just not making any difference. I don't see changes in my kids. We have the same conversation over and over again, same fights over and over again, same points of discipline over and over again. It's, it's, I think it's pretty regular for parents to experience feelings of futility. That's why it's so important to remember that God knows. God understands, and there's no labor that we do in his name that's in vain. Mm. Yeah. All right, so last question then. What's one piece of advice that you would love to go back in time and give yourself, different from the one that you just uh, you just shared? Don't attach your identity to your accomplishments. And that means the willingness to do less. It means the willingness to wait. It means meditation is a good thing. I'm of a natural personality that waiting is just horrible for me. And I've learned that waiting in God's hands is not what you get at the end of the wait, but what you become as you're waiting. And I am, at the end, what God is not seeking to form in me is a set of accomplishments. He's seeking to form in me a new man. formed in the image of my Savior. That's a lifelong process, and for that I need grace. And it's, it's that, that God is forming me, not just using me to form a bunch of other things. Mm. That is the primary thing that redemption is, is about. And as I stand before him, I won't be a set of books. I'll be his son. Paul, thank you so much for speaking with us today and uh, sharing from your own experience as a parent, as a Bible teacher, uh, as a pastor. And um, yeah, we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, it's fun to be with you. I'm so glad we had the opportunity. That was Paul Tripp discussing parenting in light of the gospel. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel through publishing gospel-centered, Bible-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.